Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, have you ever attended a really well put together party? Like one where the host just has everything nailed. Whether it's a party or whether it's an event you go to somewhere, you know, where every single thing you could think of and probably some of the things you didn't even think of are taken care of. You're just surprised at every corner on how perfect it is. And when you experience a moment like this, like everything just works, whether it's the food and the drink, perhaps the temperature of the room, even the chairs is right, the right amount of seating so you're not stuck or whatever. You know, everything has been considered by the host. Your needs, your desires, even the things that you didn't understand that you really needed from this night, they're being taken care of. And it's happening to such a degree that you actually begin to let your guard down. You actually begin to lean into the moment, lean into the atmosphere. You begin to just stop thinking about the other things. You begin to stop thinking about how you can get out of there, (laughs) you know, and get home early or whatever, you know, because you're starting to relax and just, just be and just enjoy the folks around you. You know, that is the epitome of a generous host to create a moment, an environment, a situation in which that can happen for their guests. And this is the exact picture of what we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans, we humanity are his guests in a world of opportunity and a world of abundance. And God doesn't stop there inviting us to this party. You know, we're called to keep the party going. We're called to learn from the host and then to recreate that experience, to spread his goodness to others. It's a beautiful picture, but it's not exactly the way we tend to experience the world, is it? (laughs) Instead, all too often, we experience a world of scarcity and discomfort, perhaps even a world of strife and struggle, not one of abundance and comfort and relaxation. You know, perhaps we may even fear that God is holding out on us. Like we might be able to confess with our mouth that God is generous and abundant, but do we really act it out? Maybe there isn't enough after all. And maybe all we need is to take matters into our own hands. You know, once we've adopted this mindset, we'll call it the mindset of scarcity, that there's not enough. It begins easy to justify the impulse to take care of our own needs, to take care of me and mine above everyone else. And this begins to kind of lead to positioning ourselves, perhaps not in alignment with one another, but perhaps in opposition of one another. It leads to envy, to anger, to violence. 
a world where it seems like there's never enough. You know, the party that began back in the garden has become a battleground. (laughs) But God wants more for us and for his creation. He haunts humanity to experience his generosity. And so we see throughout the story of scripture, starting in the Old Testament, God chose a people, a family, the family of Abraham. And he blesses this family. He promises to give them in abundance, generously, so much more that they can become a blessing to the nations around them. That God will provide all of their needs. All they need to do is trust, to trust in that generosity. And through them, the whole world would experience the generosity of God because this family, these chosen people would become good hosts, right? (laughs) But guess what? That's not quite what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, as we read through scripture, enter into a land of abundance, the promised land, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them, who invited them to the party. They act like it's all theirs. They act like they earned all of this and that there's not enough, that there's not enough to share with their neighbors, with the nations around. And guess what? It leads to war. It leads to, I want to take that. That looks pretty good. It leads ultimately to Israel's destruction You know, and looking at this, looking at the party host, looking at God, could you blame him if he felt like giving up on this whole generosity project? You know, but that's not what God does. As a matter of fact, he doubles down. He keeps on giving in even bigger and more extravagant ways. As a matter of fact, the next gift that he gives is the largest gift of all. He gives himself. Jesus comes. The host himself joins in the spoiled party. And right from the beginning, he begins engaging this world of scarcity in really unique and surprising ways. You see, Jesus did live and grow up in a time and a place in history that we would describe as one of toil and strife and scarcity. You know, he lived in a a nation under military occupation you know, people who had lost their lands. You know, the families, Jesus' own family was poor, impoverished, in debt, living in extreme poverty. And yet Jesus would say these crazy things like, look at the birds. (laughs) They don't store for themselves and yet they have enough to eat. Or look at the flowers of the field. They don't toil or strive for that, but they're arrayed so beautifully. They don't stress about their existence. And you know what? You guys should live that way too. But the world all around Jesus and those to whom he was speaking these words, it didn't look like the ease and abundance that somehow Jesus was tapping into. It looked hard. It looked dusty and dirty and difficult. And yet over and over, Jesus demonstrates that the scarcity problem isn't due to a lack of resources. Rather, it's a result of our mindset, a mindset that can't fully trust our generous host, God, to provide what we need. He lived with the conviction that there's always enough 
and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called us, his followers, to trust in God's abundance just like he did. This is why he said those things like, you know, sell all your possessions and give to the poor (laughs) because he knew more would come. Don't worry about your life because he knows the generous God who cares for us will provide what we need. He's inviting us to live by a different story. And that is one built on God's goodness and trustworthiness and love. But living generously doesn't mean that everything's gonna go perfectly all the time. I mean, even looking at the life of Jesus, his own life, he had it pretty hard at times. As a matter of fact, he was betrayed by his closest friends, he was tortured, and he was murdered. But what if all of this was actually no surprise to the host at all? No surprise to Jesus. He knew our nature. He knew the way we tended to work. He knew that people might take advantage of his generosity. And in fact, it seems like that was his plan all along. Think about it. Jesus knows that we're all helplessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. That the world is ruled by scarcity. So this is the very lie that he sets out to defeat. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave up his life as a gift to us. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. And what happens next? The generosity and graciousness that the host performs is is nothing less than a miracle. God's abundance turns death into life. So we can finally carry out the party that he's been intending all along. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. You know that the gift of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus calls you and I, his followers, to live like the real party has already begun. And he called that party the kingdom of heaven. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift. The personal presence of God's Holy Spirit living in and among us. That can teach us how to trust the generous host like Jesus did. You see, that's when you believe that there's enough. When you believe that there's a world of abundance that we can tap into. You start seeing opportunities for generosity all around us. To be generous in our attention, to be generous in ourselves, with our time, our, our, our experiences, our emotions, to be generous with our resources, our talents. This is what it means to live generously as demonstrated by Jesus. We're beginning a, a series this today that'll last over the next four weeks, discovering or trying to tap into the idea of living generously the way Jesus did, the practice of generosity. Because it's not just a mindset. It starts with a mindset, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. 
but it goes beyond a mindset and turns into practicality, turns into actually lived experience. Uh, the Bible Project. Have any of you heard of the Bible Project? It's a great resource. It's a great website. They do these amazing videos that help take concepts like this and boil them down into very simple, beautifully well done videos. There's a great one that inspired a bit of that introduction. I encourage you to check that out. And as I've been preparing for this series, I've also been reading a book. There's information in your sermon notes on what that book is called. It's called The Generosity Project. So many of the quotes and some of the ideas that we're sharing come from this book. It's a, it's a great read. If you want to go deeper alongside of us, I'd highly encourage it. You know, but what we need to recognize in talking about this idea of generosity, this practice of generosity, is that there's a lot of stress points along the way. <laughs> there's a lot of moments in which it doesn't feel that good to be thinking this way, to be fighting against some of these tendencies. But over the next four weeks, we aim to consider this. We aim to kind of unpack this and just sit in this idea. And as we've been going through the summer, we've been talking about Sabbath, we've been talking about prayer, we've been talking about fasting. You know, some of the moments in this have felt uncomfortable. If you participated with us in a fast, you probably didn't feel that good. <laughs> you know, but hopefully the Lord has been with you and enriching these moments and these experiences. The same will be true as we discover generosity together. Before we dive into our scripture this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 12. I invite you to join me in prayer. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the bread of heaven, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's hear Luke chapter, 20, chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep seeking for what you will eat or what you will drink. And do not keep worrying, for it's the nations of the world that seek all of these things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, or unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near 
and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, in season two of The Simpsons, a show which I wasn't necessarily allowed to watch at home. <laughs> Some of you may find out why here in just a moment if you're not familiar. Uh, but in, in season two of The Simpsons, there's an episode where Bart is asked to say grace before the meal. And so everyone bows their heads and folds their hands and Bart Simpson prays this. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing, amen. The watching adults like gasp at the insolence. And yet there's this character, Mr. Burns. He's kind of like the token Christian on the show. He doesn't always do a great job of being that, but he chuckles and he says, only an innocent child could get away with such blasphemy. God bless them all. You know, but I, what I think the show was trying to do was shed light on a thought that few of us are honest to express out loud. <laughs> you know, Bart's caustic statement is poignant because it pierces through the veneer of polite sentiment and says aloud what some of us actually might think without saying it. <laughs> you know, we do go to work. We do earn the money. We did pay for these things ourselves. And so why all this talk about gratitude and thankfulness to a God that we don't even see most of the time? You know, where do, your, where do you think that the treasure lies in that attitude, that idea, that sentiment? It's convicting, you know, but this rebellious streak didn't start with Bart Simpson or the writer of The Simpsons. Remember the infamous story in Genesis chapter three of the Bible with the fruit? You know, the biblical portrayal of this idea, this beginning of scarcity, this beginning of really sin and evil in the world, it begins with an act of desiring and taking something that is not ours, that was not to be taken. The scene opens with a serpent subtly undermining God's generosity. He says, did God really? say that you shouldn't eat of any of the fruit of all of the trees in the garden? Of course, God did not say that. <laughs> he simply asked the man and the woman not to eat from a specific tree because good boundaries are essential to trust, aren't they? Good boundaries are essential to living in abundance, recognizing all you have. But the serpent goes on to twist God's words by saying, you will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil for yourself. You know, the serpent portrays God as holding out on humanity. He portrays God as withholding good things, withholding knowledge. This is the birth of the scarcity mindset and it's been plaguing us from the beginning. You know, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
And that the tree was desirable for making wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The word in that passage for desirable is the Hebrew word nechved. And it literally means covetous desire. In other words, the tree was a covetous desire for making us wise. You know, while we might testify that God is good and generous, why do we so often slip back into this posture of worry, worry for our needs? Perhaps we're not even thinking of God as our provider. You know, but if we do, perhaps we are fearful that he might be holding out on us, that he might be withholding things that could make us even more happy if we went and took it for ourselves, even more successful if we went and took it for ourselves. But consider how our desires for what we need in life perhaps might be skewed from time to time, just as it was in the garden. Covetous desire fuels the scarcity mindset and it sucks the life right out of our ability to give as God intended, to be a generous host, to be gracious with all that we have, to live in abundance. So what was God's rebuttal? We may not be able to see God directly, but if we shift our perspective, just as Jesus encouraged in Luke 12, we begin to see God's fingerprints everywhere. No matter your perspective on how it all happened, how it all came about, whether it was in a flash or whether it's happened over millennia of careful tending, everything in creation that you can see and touch and hear and feel, including us, including humanity, has come from the hand of God. He created the, the molecules that make up our bodies. He gave life and breath to those bodies so that we can go to work and earn money. He provided the inspiration and the power and the ingenuity and the ability to work, to come up with ideas, to think of new things, the materials to work with, and the world in which to make it all effective and productive and satisfying and to bring us joy. He created the plants. He created our plant, our animals, our pets. He creates the ground that we can cultivate, the food that we can grow or that we can buy from our hard-earned money, the land and the rain and the sun to sustain and to grow them. He made and organized everything and everyone that helped construct this building, this sanctuary in which we stand or sit today. The instruments, the music, that washed through our hearts, the poetry, the moments of silence, which speak into our hearts in moments like these. All that we are and have and do comes from an infinitely powerful and loving and careful creator. From one who is so much above and beyond that we can barely comprehend their greatness but one who is loving and generous, inviting us into the family and showing us that we are more than just participants. We are heirs. We're hosts of the same generosity. God didn't have to do any of this. He doesn't have to, he's not obliged. And yet he created us and he sustains us. God creates and sustains and provides because it is his character. 
It is out of his character of love and generosity and faithfulness and kindness. And this is really the essence of the invitation to a life of generosity, to a life lived in abundance rather than scarcity. The invitation is to become an abundant host like the abundant host who invited us into life itself. We've heard this passage already this morning, but Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the maker. You know, the psalmist in this poetry is trying to call Israel into this mindset of abundance, this mindset of recognizing God's fingerprints in all of creation, and that this is the right and proper response when you recognize God as a giver, to demonstrate gratitude, to become imitators of him. This is the right and basic response as God and sustainer of all things has given to us. Not that we're all that great at it. <laughs> Not that we're all that good at it. That's why we're here, to help remind ourselves, to stir ourselves up one of the quotes from the book that I've been reading in the weeks prior comes from Vaughn Roberts. He's a rector of St. Eve's Church in Oxford. And he says it like this, God delights when we enjoy the rich variety and wonder of the world that he's made. He gives us so much more than we need. God is the giver and we are the beneficiaries. I think most of us, Certainly, those of us who call ourselves Christians know very well that God is the great giver, but it's so very easy to forget it and to live with the illusion of entitlement and control, as though somehow we are in control over our lives and that we've earned the things that we get through our own efforts. We take them for granted. It's hard. We stop. It's hard to stop and to say thank you. It might even feel ridiculous to us because when we stop to think, surely we realize everything is a gift from God, his amazing grace. He is the definition of generosity. You know, sometimes toddlers get a bad rap for being selfish. <laughs> think of the toddlers in your life, the ones that you've known. Hey, Chris, <laughs> just see you. you. You guys have toddlers. You know, imagine that moment when your clenched-fisted toddler says, I can do it myself. Yet they simply can't see the larger perspective that their parents provide everything that they need, that they are utterly dependent in almost every way upon you. <laughs> oh, you know, that they can do almost nothing for themselves in all honesty, except perhaps get the spoon 
and get the sauce and get it into the mouth or near the mouth at least. <laughs> but that drive to strive is so ingrained in us. I can do it myself. You know, Romans chapter one articulates this very well. It's from Romans one beginning in verse 20. Ever since the creation of God's, of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been seen and understood to the things that God has made. So they are without excuse for knowing, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of their moral God essentially for false gods. <laughs> Friends, gratitude and the abundant mindset and lives of generosity may not come easily. It may not be kind of our default, but it's definitely worth fighting for. As Jesus encouraged over and over throughout scripture, even in the midst of difficulty, that he was living and that those who were hearing him were experiencing. A mind fixed on the generosity of God is critical to a peaceful, satisfied life. After all, we are loved by a God who created and cares for us, a God who forgives us our shortcomings, provides for our needs, and is inviting us into a life of partnership with him, becoming generous hosts ourselves. You know, this is the beginning of practicing generosity. Tim Clemens, a pastor from Grace City Church says, as we grasp this, it lays a foundation of contentment because now I can have confidence that everything I have is what God intended. It's a unique perspective that everything we have is what God intends. If he wanted me to have more, he would give more. And he's certainly able. And so I'm now left in a place where I can relax and rejoice and give thanks to God for what I do not have and what I do rather than murmuring and striving, chasing after what I don't. You know, we don't have to be anxious or fearful about what might happen in the future. Instead, we can have faith, trusting that the same God who so generously provides Instead, we can have faith, trusting that this God who provides for us in creation will continue to provide all of our needs, emotional, physical, whatever, whatever it is. And that frees us up to then be generous hosts as he invited us. You know, in the coming weeks, we're gonna consider how we can practice generosity in a variety of ways how we can become abundant hosts, not only to our families, not only in our private time, but to the, those around us, to our friends and family and neighbors, to our community. And I get that generosity is a funny word, especially in church circles, because if you've been around the church very long, the word generosity tends to go hand in hand with money, right? <laughs> tends to go hand in hand with money. You know, generosity is about so much more than money. 
You know, but it's not less than money. It's not about less than money. In other words, money is really just a liquid form of God's goodness and its provision in our lives, isn't it? It's a resource just like our time and our talent. But for now, we simply need to pause and to reflect on what it means that everything in our lives and our world is built on generosity. The generosity of an extravagant host and a, a, a God, a father, and that that right response to God's generosity is thanksgiving, contentment, trust, and generosity of our own. So for today, the call is this. May we shift from a mindset of entitlement and scarcity into one of humility and abundance. May we recognize God's extravagance in our lives in its many and varied forms. Sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. May we become more than simply guests of the abundant feast and begin to notice ways in which we might live as hosts to others of God's boundless love and provision and kindness and attention. May our opinion of others be as generous as God's opinion for you is. That can be a hard one. May we truly see others, especially ones that are different or disagree with us. May we truly see them the way God sees them. May we try to pull the best from one another as God has done for us. May we be people of abundant life. And may generosity become our natural response thanks to our extravagant host. Amen.